You're listening to the Fade to Gray Network. It's all good. So, does anybody have any any questions? Uh, ben, do you any concerns? Seth? Raven says things you <laughs> <laughs> air, air them now. Fe- Festivus for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. I'm good. Y'all ready? It is then. Okay. Here we go. What is up, Fade to Gray family? This is Chris, and we are here today with Ben DeLong. He's an author, and I think you're really going to enjoy him. Uh, We've got Seth on the call. What's up, Seth? We've also got Omar. That's me. (laughs) So so, So let's give a little bit of a synopsis about this book here. Okay, so here's the synopsis. Many have been taught to see God as a terrifying agent of wrath who spews anger at any sign of imperfection. At the same time, they've been taught that they are inherently flawed and devoid of goodness. Where does that leave us? For Ben DeLong, it left him hiding his skeletons from the monster he believed God to be. This proved to be a perfect recipe for anxiety, depression, and insecurity. But what if God accepts our skeletons? What if he actually embraces them in love? How would that change our outlook? For Ben, it changed everything. This book is about his journey to find what was always true. We are eternally embraced by God, skeletons and all, and he is never letting go. Oh, that was a beautiful read. That was inspirational. Why don't yes. we start every episode like that? No, that won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was good, but I also, as you're reading it, I'm like, man, I take my way, I take myself way too damn seriously. <laughs> Shh. You, you, you didn't write that about yourself. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> so Ben's an author, obviously, and he's on the podcast to talk about his book and get to know a little bit more about his story. And, you know, we're all dying to know, listening to the synopsis. What are those skeletons? When I first did the first read through, <laughs> um, and the guys can tell you, I, we read this a little bit ago. And uh, when I got to the part where it says, you know, the monster, I thought it said mother. And so I thought you're, <laughs> you're hiding, I thought you're hiding your skeletons from your mother. And I'm like, no, Ben, we all hit, hit our porn from our mother. And so <laughs> a little bit of a Freudian slip there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so, so welcome. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. So you're obviously coming from a Christian background, right? Because apparently you had faith and then something happened to remove you from that faith or make you think God was a monster and then you came back to it, right? So yeah. let's rewind. All right. Let's rewind to the beginning here. All right. Tell it us about like you thought God was a monster the whole time. I don't know. Well, maybe. <laughs> it's possible. I mean, a lot of people in faith do, you know, yeah, but I want to know about the origins of your faith. Is this something that like your family uh, had you like going to church? Is this something you found on your own? Like, tell me about that. Tell us your yeah, story. Uh, so my, my dad was a pastor, so I obviously grew up in the church. Mm, and oh, PK, a pastor's yeah. kid. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. No wonder. No wonder. PK. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. This kid and, uh, was out behind the church sinning, you know, while all the other kids <laughs> were faithfully attending. Yeah. He, he's I, trying to hook up with trying to hook up with every girl in the youth group. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that was all of us. <laughs> Not true. True. That's the only reason I went to church when I was in high school. <laughs> yeah. Just, all the CDs that the uh, sinners threw away, he was actually collecting at the end of the service. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, is that a Green Day CD? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, guys. Yeah. I, guys, let's, I, uh, let's let Ben tell the story here. I, rem- I remember uh, trashing a Green Day CD, actually. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Yeah. My uncle made me do it so yeah, yeah. go ahead so pk so, yeah so as a pk and um you know 
generations that are older than us, they, they don't, they're not really good at emotional health. Um, they just, no. they, they don't, <laughs> right. And, um, sounds like Ben's at ages too. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> so and, you're happy about coronavirus then. He's not even like had a complete (laughs) sentence about his life story yet. And we've interjected twice. (laughs) Well well, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining Faded Gray. So we know Ben Long is an Aegis who enjoys the coronavirus. Thank you. (laughs) Read his book. (laughs) Yes. Sorry, Ben. No, you're it's all good. I'm having fun. (laughs) Um, so my, my dad, um, and, and two, you know, just to continue to be stereotypical is, uh, my, my dad is half German, so they're not, they're not very good at talking about their stuff. And, and so, um, my, yeah, my, my dad didn't know how to handle the stress of being a pastor. I mean, you know, he, he basically handled it by, you know, trying, trying his very best to be what people wanted him to be. And Mm. then by the time he got home, you know, he was exhausted and he was stressed and, and that kind of, you know, stressed the rest of us out. And I was a pastor for five years myself. And so really that that experience kind of like, I was like, dude, I'm doing this with no kids. And he did it with four kids. Like no wonder he was so stressed out. (laughs) What denomination um, was he involved in? Uh, Nazarene, which is the one I was into. So where did you go to, where do you get your, where do you go to seminary? Uh, Nazarene Theological Seminary in Kansas City. Kansas City. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's keep talking about your dad, though. So, um, yeah. So there, there was a part of part of my baggage was my relationship with my dad, and and I, you know, when we're kids, we when our parents act out, we just kind of naturally assume it's our fault. And so when my dad acted out of his stress, I mean, that's that's what I did, you know, and it wasn't. It wasn't him having any, you know, he didn't mean to do any of those things, but I, I took them on and, and just thought I was a bad kid because of that. And then, you know, here comes the evangelical gospel to quickly confirm that and be like, yeah, you are a piece of shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? and, yeah. And, um, that. and so, um, as I kind of, I, in that synopsis, it kind of mentions that, that it's like, well, I'm a piece of crap and apparently God has an anger problem. So how does that all fit together? And and it just, you know, there's depression and anxiety out of that because you're told that your core identity is just terrible. But mm-hmm. then also that like you have to always walk on eggshells with God. Right. And, right. And it, um, and something I talk about in the book is that it, it um, creates this, ever present fight or flight in you because it's like, well, apparently the whole nature of the universe is threatening because of who God is. And you're always thinking, well, if I do this, is God going to, you know, what's he going to do to me this time? And, and so it it just creates a lot of dysfunctions and, and, um, and a lot of insecurity. And that's kind of, that was kind of, um, how my journey led me to kind of needing to give it up was, um, I ended up, so I, you know, we were joking about trying to hook up with all the youth group, youth group girls, but that was like, that was my way of trying to find security. Like if, if a girl thinks I'm special, then, then I'll be okay. And, 
And, you know, I finally got married in college to this amazing woman, and yet somehow I still so, felt like shit. So, Ben, did you know, though, when you were younger and going through this, um, because you can articulate this pretty well now, um, looking back, you wrote a book about it, but when yeah. you were younger, did you know that that's where your anxiety and stress was coming from? Um, because you, I, you, internal, even, you internalized yeah. it as your own, Yeah, but... I'm just wondering how you ended up following in your father's footsteps you know, many years later, if this was your view of God. Um, yeah. Like, was it, uh, yeah. So how did, how did that work? There. Like, yeah, I no, I, I had no idea I was even anxious at the time. Okay. Um, you know, if I, I would have, I would have articulated God as being that monster. And I would have said, that's a healthy way to view God. Um, and, and so I, you know, I went to college and pursued of being a pastor with that view of God, not, re- not realizing how damaging it was to me. And, um, and so I, I got married and still felt like crap. And, and it's like, well, my plan didn't work cause I got married and I still feel this way. So that's, that was kind of what, um, led me into getting to, into pornography and, and getting addicted to that for a while. And, um, and that was when I, um, kind of hit bottom was like i i gotta do something different and so i went um i think that was everybody's skeleton as a a young man growing up in church not being able to express yourself sexually or feeling demonized for doing so you had to kind of keep that in the closet yeah it was yeah for sure yeah and so i ended up going to um because you guys are all of you connected to carl forehand he's been on the show Okay. I um, that was my pastor growing up. Okay. Well, one of. I mean, I yeah. I mean, he was brought in after uh-huh. uh what's his name left? Uh, okay. Seth is more connected than we are. That's what okay. he's trying right. to say. S- S- I know of him because yeah. he's been on the podcast. That's and I've been yeah, on that's pretty much his it. podcast, and then he's been on ours, and then I've been on too many podcasters with several <laughs> of them. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Seth is just more connected in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I just bring him up cause I, I ended up going to the breakthrough seminar, which is something that he did as well. And, um, when I was in breakthrough, I ended up, I didn't realize that this, this at the time, but I experienced divine love, but I didn't realize mm-hmm. it was divine love because to me, divine meant, you know, hateful and vengeful. And, and so, um, you know, I came out of that and I was like, well, apparently I got to choose one or the other. I can either have faith or. I can follow this love that I've experienced. All right, let's let, let's park it there because talk about this encounter and what you describe as divine love. What does that look like to you? Because I know, you know, Chris doesn't doesn't even believe there's such a thing. Um, I would say I had an experience similar to that, but I want to mm-hmm. hear from your side, like what happened to you that you that you say this was divine. Was this, this in a tea real- shop? <laughs> What's that? No, <laughs> no breakthrough, Chris. Breakthrough is the experiential training that Dr. Paul Fitzgerald does. Um, and actually, I interviewed him on the first episode of Mental Internalized Shame, um, where we specifically talk about the breakthrough seminars. Oh. It's absolutely awesome, Ben, that you were able to go through that. Yeah. Tell us about what your opinion is around divine love. Let's, I really want to unpack that. Yeah. Um, well, I, in that experience, it was, um, it, it was freedom and it was affirmation of that you're okay. And, um, 
which is not what my faith was like before that. To to get you there, mm-hmm. did did part of the training tear you down? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and just kind of like I the way what, I what do you mean by way, tear you down? The way I describe breakthrough is that it's compassionately confrontational, mm-hmm. and so it it like it just is brutally honest. Like this this is what you're doing with your life. So mm-hmm. I went through an experiential training similar to breakthrough. Um, mm-hmm. It was called grace encounter. And like they kept the temperature degree at like 65 at all times. So you were cold. And I was going to say that sounds perfect. No, no, <laughs> I don't mean 65. I mean like 55, Like they dropped it down. So you were constantly freezing and then they would give you imposter names. So like I was like arrogant manipulator was what my was deemed as my imposter. Um, but then would like, but at the end, you know, it's all about the love. It's all about the grace. It's like this whole journey. And so I was wondering if that was similar as how did they get you there? Yeah. Um, I that mean, they definitely... so fucked up. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like, was going to say, it's like the shit that I that. went through in my cult. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, was say, I, mean, I think breakthrough is far different than what I went through. I think breakthrough yeah, is very I mean, much more supportive. I mean, I, I don't. I wouldn't, I, yeah, I definitely wouldn't say it is manipulative. Um, no, that was, that was Seth's name. <laughs> that, yeah, that was my name. <laughs> he, he, was, he was the arrogant manip- manipulator. Oh, right, yeah, okay. that, they didn't yeah. call me by, I wasn't called Seth. If someone uh-huh. needed to talk to me, I had to wear a name tag that said arrogant. Oh manipulator. yeah, that's fucked up. Okay, did you, yeah. did, did you did you say Mister Arrogant? Mil- t- mil- <laughs> uh, whatever, whatever it was, I can't speak. Okay, sorry, words. I made it about me. This is about Ben. Ben, let's talk <laughs> but, about breakthrough. But Ben's not saying that that happened to him at breakthrough, right? That's not no, no. no okay, it, he did it, say okay. he said it was confrontational though. So like, how confrontational? Like, um, like at at one point. One of the people told me that I was spineless, um, which of course pissed me off. But, but it it was true, not in my core, but that was how I was living. Was that I I was letting everybody walk over me. Um, well, you're supposed to. I mean, God's first, everyone else is right. second, you're th- and you're last. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, but it's very much you know, it's telling ta- you know, it's telling you this is what this is what you're doing with your life. This is why. Um, you know, you're, I mean, you're obviously there because you need something else and, you know, it's, they're just tell you, they're revealing to you what patterns you're doing that are hurting yourself. What patterns were you doing that were hurting yourself? Um, I, I was just treating myself like crap. Um, letting people walk over them apparently. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, um, I just fully believe that I was just, you know, a terrible person and, and, you know, I'd beat myself up all the time. Um, and I would let people walk all over me because it's like, well, there's nothing good in me. So, you know, obviously I'm going to defer to you. Hmm. Were you letting the loved ones in your life treat you like that? Like your wife? Um, yeah, to an extent. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was always, you know, it was always defer to you, let you do what you want. Um, 
if you, well, what usually would happen is that if, if anybody would give me any sort of criticism, even like, you know, you didn't get the dishes completely clean. It, it was like a trigger of, oh yeah, I, that's because I'm a terrible person. And, mm, and yeah. so I would like, I would beat myself up and I would shut down. And the, one of the biggest problems with our marriage is after doing that for five years, my wife didn't know me at all. Mm. And so this was as a result from, I, I imagine you went to your father's church your entire life. Yeah. And yeah. so would you say that this is kind of a result of his teaching? You know, I, I, I really wouldn't, which is odd. Like I, I, I definitely think that the dynamic of our father son relationship contributed to that. But as far as like his presence in the church, I think it was less about him and it was more about like the water we were swimming in. It was more mm. about just that evangelical culture as a whole. Yeah. Um, because he's, you know, he, he could be hard to live with when I was a kid just because he was always stressed and angry and grumpy, but I never remember him, you know, spouting off about, well, these such, these such and such people are going to go to hell because of this. And, you know, I, n- I never heard that from him. And you never felt like you could go to him and say, dad, I'm, I'm feeling, you know, that God is just a, a kind of a monstrous tyrant. Um, you know, why am I wrong? You never felt like you could do that with him. Um, well, I, I, I don't think, I don't think that that didn't occur to me until years after I had moved out. Okay. Gotcha. And, um, <clears throat> and I was going to say like, why would you even pursue seminary and, and whatnot if you were thinking that way about God? Yeah, no, I was definitely, it, it wasn't until like, it wasn't until I was about like 24. Um, when I, when I started to question that kind of stuff, like question what I had believed all my life. So when did you let Satan in to start doubting? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah. Well, go, going back to this divine love, though, because it sounds like to me—and correct me if you're if I'm wrong—because divine love for you looks more kind of like hard love. And was there a um, emotional component to happen with that that kind of solidified? Uh, that is, is knowing, okay, God's speaking here. This is his love. I'm ex- experiencing his love through this because this is all very fascinating to me, um, especially because we just got done recording an episode um, where I've been thinking on the different types of love, whether like it be hard love or mm. the compassionate type of love. What do we need and what's more beneficial to somebody? It yeah. sounds like you experienced a major breakthrough with some real confrontational, what I would call hard love. Yeah. Um, so what did that, how do you know that that wasn't just people being dicks? How do you know that there was God? How do you know God was in that loving you through that? Um, just a lot of, um, affirmations following that. And, um, the, the most important one for me was, and I, I mentioned this in the book that, um, I spent a couple months after breakthrough wrestling with, you know, well, if, if I'm going to follow this love to the fullest, then I'm going to have to give up my faith. I mean, that's what it seems like. And as much as my faith was killing me, it's like, you know, it's like leaving a significant other, you know, it's hard to do. And, um, and so I, um, one night I was delivering pizza and I just finally told God, I was like, if you, if you're this asshole that I thought you are my whole life, like, I'm just, I'm just done with you. And, um, and it was like, 
when I did that, um, I, I felt that same loving presence come in that I experienced in breakthrough and affirm like, like that that is God or that is, you know, whatever you want to call it, but that, but that I didn't, um, that God, that that's who, that's who God was all along that freedom. Loving or an asshole? Loving. Okay. Yeah. And so it's like the, the instant that I gave, I gave up that image of him and said, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. Like as, as uh, I heard somebody say, they said, if, if, um, you know, if that's who God is, like, then I'll be an atheist, you know? Um, yeah. And, and so it was like, when I got to that point, it was like, I finally had let go enough for God to be like, I, I am the love that you experienced. Okay. Do you think that going to seminary helped you develop, uh, I guess your vision of God being a tyrant or is it something that you were just thinking on your own? Um, did you say, I'm sorry, did you say, did seminary question that the hatred, like the hateful image or did it or solidify it more? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say, um, probably solidified it a little more. Yeah. Um, now it's, it's interesting because I, so the timeline was I went to college for four years, went to seminary for two years, and then that's when this breakthrough thing happened. And then I took a year off and then I went back to seminary to finish. And that second, that last year of seminary was very, was very different. And that, that was probably because my lens had changed. I was but, curious um, of that. Yeah. yeah. Like once that shift happened, like what did you notice in yourself? Did you notice yourself responding to people differently at all? Um, um, I, I think I just read, um, I noticed, and, and this has been ever since then is that the more, the more I grow in this, the more I become, the more assertive I become and not, you know, not just tear myself down, but I, but actually believe I have something to contribute. And so like when I went back to seminary, there was a class I was going to take on the atonement. And I was like, you know, if I was like, if, if I'm going to go to this class and they're just going to talk about, you know, all that BS about how Jesus had to be punished, you know, to make God love me, then this is, it's a waste of time. And, and whoa, and the- <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Well, are you saying that the biblical account of Jesus life is bullshit? No, I'm I'm saying the way that it's been interpreted for the last 500 years is, is the uh, pro. Uh, what's the word? Crap. The penal substitution. Penal substitution. Yeah. The oh, you've um, piqued Seth's interest with penal. <laughs> well, no. Shut up. <laughs> My gosh. There. Can we not have an episode that doesn't make fun of homosexuals? Can it? Can that not? Can it just happen? Um. No, the propitiation of not sin or something. There was. A, I just remember in Campus Crusade for Christ. There's a verse from the Apostle Paul that's all about. Seth, I was asking Ben. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So my question was for Ben. <laughs> no, I'm, okay. I'm interested though. What were you going to say, Seth? <laughs> no, I was just curious. I mean, I know what you're talking about. My interest has yeah. been piqued. I'm shutting up. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, you're because you're talking about like God having to be propitiated. Yes. Like, yeah. What um, does propitiated mean for those who don't have an MDiv? Um, it a lot of big P words. It basically means that God had to be appeased. That his anger, okay. his anger had to be appeased. So and, you don't uh, believe that? No. Um, I I would say you know especially if we're talking about that verse, I would say that it was it was we who had to be appeased. Um, and so when when Jesus is dying on the cross, basically God God is submitting Himself to our to our violence in order to undo it. And he's submitting himself to our religious practices in order to undo it. Hmm. That's an interesting way to look at it. It, um, I don't know if you, if, if you guys are familiar with mimetic theory. Um, I don't think so. It sounds like something you learn. Is that like a math class? No, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm no expert on it at all, but it was basically, um, it was put forth by this, um, guy named Rene, Rene Girard and he was basically talking about how when you look back um, he he found this pattern through literature of um, conflict being created in people groups and then that conflict being resolved through a sacrifice hmm. and he was saying that when you look back through history that sacrificial systems have existed long before biblical times as a way to resolve that kind of societal conflict and that um and so when you when you look at the old testament and their system that's not original with the old testament that's no that's well the whole um, story of christ isn't an original story either so i mean yeah <laughs> well i mean as far as virgin birth or right, god right. god's son that story has been done you know before right too. yeah yeah and so like you know and Jesus offering himself as a sacrifice, it's not to appease God, it's to um, undo our sacrificial system. He basically allows himself to be scapegoated in order to, in order to end the entire scapegoating process. Hmm. And so, I guess, like, what would be your biblical basis of that theory or that thought process? Um, God, God is love, Chris. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you weren't asking me. You're you're asking Ben. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I mean, I would say that you you can see that um that process starting in the Old Testament of just that that pattern of um scapegoating and violence, but then also God stepping in to say that He's not going to participate in it. And so you in in the Old Testament you have these very conflicting conflicted um images of sometimes you have god like being very merciful and very compassionate sometimes you have him you know being a monster and committing genocide yeah exactly yeah and so the flood yeah and so in, in my understanding what's happening there is that god is trying to break through and people's understanding of him but but it it's a process and their, their stuff is coming through at the same time. But you see, you know, you look at Cain and Abel and you see Cain kills Abel and God comes in and, you know, he, one thing he does is that he sides, 
he takes the side of the victim in Abel, which is not what typically happened. Um, but then he also says, but I'm, I'm not going to continue the violence either. I'm not going to, you know, punish Cain or, or anything like that. And so you see that, you know, I mean, one of the biggest storylines in the Old Testament is the Exodus, and you have God taking the side of the victims, which was, um, I, I don't, don't quote me on this, but I think Rene Girard, who, who was, um, he was a literature professor, said that that was, the Bible is the first time in history and religious literature that God takes the side of the victim. And so, um, then you, you get to Christ and he lets himself become the victim and he, and at the same time he refuses to retaliate. And that, I think that's what's so powerful about when the scene where Jesus has risen from the dead and he returns to his disciples, you know, because the expectation would be he's going to kick our ass, <laughs> you know, cause we all, we all betrayed him. We all, you know, turned around and ran away and, and he offers peace instead. So what do you think then with that type of theological outlook? I mean, how do you interpret say the end of the book that deals with, fire raining down from heaven or you know armageddon basically or like yeah or the covid virus whatever it might whatever it might be <laughs> yeah. like how it do came you from china <laughs> jesus how, how do you china. basically reconcile that loving god who's trying to change the language with an ancient book that ends in destruction um i i would say that's not an accurate um, interpretation of revelation. Um, and I, well, because you are neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, boy. (laughs) So, um, the, the main, one of the main things behind me saying that is you have, um, and revelation five, you have, um, Jesus showing up as the lion of Judah um, the one who conquers, but then when John turns around to look at him, all he sees is a slain lamb. And so basically the imagery there is that the lion is the, is the representation that God is victorious, but the slain lamb is, is the representation of how he conquers, that he conquers through offering himself in love. Um, and so it's a pretty powerful vision, you know, and yeah. symbology. No matter how you cut it, whether you yeah. believe in it or not, it's extremely powerful for sure. I mean, just the thought that a lion, you know, who's king of the jungle, who could eat anyone and is more powerful than anything, you know, would be a sacrifice for everyone and would be, you know, humble enough to be viewed as a as a slain lamb, you know, is a very powerful image either way you slice yeah. it. Well, and, and the book of Revelation has... Uh, um, a much trickier history with the ch- the history of the church than the other books of the, that are in our Bible. Um, yeah, I mean, and, it's, and it's and a think, poetry book, and it's so badly translated and, and used that I yeah. would, you know, so I don't have any problem with you telling me that it's a, that's a bad way of looking at Revelation. Honestly, I don't know what the best way of, of reading it, interpreting it is, because there is tons of, like, some... some symbolism symbolisms whatever you want to call it but yeah. or do we really or do we really think that there's going to be flying horses riding through the skies you know like coming yeah. in so those are helicopters 
Well, and I think there's there's a reason that I, I think it might be I can't remember if the if it's an Orthodox Church or not, but there was um I think it was the Orthodox Church that they accepted it into their canon, but not until like a thousand years afterwards, and they said we will not we will not form any official doctrine based on this book. Hmm. Based on revolution, uh, revelations, <laughs> right, right, not the Bible, but revelations. Yeah, revolution gotcha. was a good song, but that was John Lennon. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so Ben, so is all of this? This is the type of stuff that people will get if they are reading your book. Then, like, um, sounds like you have quite a bit of theology background, and this. So this book is kind of chronicling your journeys through this, like this, because this what you're. Ex- expressing to me now or explaining to me, I have not, I wouldn't say it's a new uh, way to look at the Bible, but it's not a traditional way to look at the Bible. Correct? Yeah. Well, um, it's not traditional in, um, within American um, evangelicalism, but it is, it is traditional as far as church history as a whole is concerned. But anyone can say that, like any denomination can say, well, our view of the Bible is traditional, you know, as far as the church is concerned, you know, but it's not, uh, you know, what modern people say, like, what, what makes your interpretation of the Bible the correct one? Because there are people out there listening right now, (laughs) right? There are people out there listening right now going, oh, this poor fool's going to hell because, you know, he's, he's, you know, forgetting that God is wrathful and that God is, you know, uh, Jesus came you know, with a sword, not to bring peace. Yeah. So like what, why is your interpretation the correct one? Um, well, I, I should say that the whole mimetic theory thing isn't it because it's medic theory is not that old, but, um, as far as like, if you look at the penal substitution theory of the atonement, that, that wasn't formed until like 1500. Um, if you, when you look at God, um, when you talk about him, you know, is he violent or not? Um, you can um, look at the few the few first hundred years of the church where Christians refuse to participate in any kind of violence. They refuse to, you know, even to the point of refusing to participate in the military because they just thought it wasn't right for Christians to participate in violence. Oh, that's and Amish. The whole <laughs> well, that, that's, that was their view back then as well. Um. And then the the whole, you know, when when we think of what, you know, when we think what do Christians believe about the Bible, most of us have been exposed to the idea that, you know, it's an errant, you know, there's no mistakes in the Bible. And that that's a very um, modern view. That's that's something that I don't think came around to the last couple hundred years. So you don't subscribe to that theory that uh, the Bible is an errant? No, well, I, I don't think it's an errant I, I don't think, um, I don't think, I think it's an accurate representation of God, um, working with people to try to move them in the right direction and seeing how they keep getting it wrong. But I don't, I, I, I wouldn't say every passage you read that portrays the character of God is accurate because you have, you know, I mean, that, that was one of the things for me is how, how am I supposed to follow a God who, you know, commands us to commit genocide, who wants to burn people eternally with Jesus, who says to love your enemies and who, 
you know, says, God, will you forgive them as they're killing him? So what would your basis be for following a God? I mean, most people would say, you know, my basis for God would be that I have a book, you know, that tells me everything about the origin of man and how to worship him and how to live and all this stuff like that would be their basis for that. So how, what would you say is your basis then? If you, if you do not believe that the Bible is inerrant, then why believe any of it? Well, um, I I believe I believe in the 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 gospels portraying Jesus. Um and I believe you know when Jesus says when you see me you'll see the father and I've come to reveal it to you who God is. He's he's saying that you guys haven't fully understood who fully understood who God is yet. Um but I also believe that it's it's much bigger than it's much bigger than the Bible, it's much bigger than the gospels that um you know one of the things that the church has believed is in in the incarnation but the problem is that a lot of people think well the incarnation means that you know jesus was a human being who died to represent us but um i i think the orthodox church um the way that they view it is they would say that when jesus became human he he wrapped all humanity with up with god um, so it's not like if you just say the right prayer or whatever that God accepts you, it's that you have been embraced by God in the incarnation. And so it's not, you know, I, I do believe that the Bible plays a pivotal part, but it's not just about that. It's about the, the spirit of God who I, that I believe resides within all of us, um, speaking to us. Okay. But if that book didn't exist, then you don't have any account of that God. So, like, I mean, maybe, maybe it survives oral tradition. Maybe. Okay. But, like, my point is, is how do you know that that's true about God if it, if you don't have any physical thing to, to back it up? Yeah. I mean, I, um, I, I can only go with what I've experienced as real. Um, the, the things that I've experienced, you know, God speaking to me in various ways, uh, affirming, you know, and it, and it's, it's not even like, well, I was in a church service and this thing happened. It can be as simple as, you know, I was in a bar and I heard this song came on and it like, it spoke something true to me in my spirit, um, about who we are and about like, um, what. Oh yeah. I know what you're talking about. That happened to me watching Tiger King. <laughs> 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 I I have not seen that yet, but I've heard it's pretty pretty crazy. <laughs> it, so it, spoke, it sounds like okay. So <laughs> save us, Seth. What is I'm trying. I, I can always I tell when Seth doesn't like my jokes. Yeah, but it's funny, Seth. <laughs> I'm just. I mean, I just feel like we're coming. A, we're coming a, a, against Ben a little hard here. In I'm not coming to, against Ben at all. I, no, I, mean, I, don't, I, just, I don't think well, Ben feels so that hard. way. <laughs> I hope Ben doesn't so feel that it's way. So hard, it's so hard to describe this because it really comes down to faith. Faith it comes down is to what an it's anecdotal all about. story, right? But I in wanna, my life, this is what I've experienced. Yeah, Let him talk. I, wanna unpa- I, wanna, um, I want Ben to kind of unpack this a little bit more, and you were already starting to do it, but in the ways <laughs> in which you've experienced God. Like you said that... like. God has spoken to you. What does that mean? It's like petting um, a baby tiger. <laughs> Power. 
There's power in that. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's hard to describe because I I don't think I would say like God has spoken to me. You know, like an audible voice sitting next to me, but it's just something. Um, it's you know you could say it's mystical. I guess it's something that hits true in your spirit and it's and you know like seth is saying it's really it's hard to articulate that kind of stuff mm-hmm. sure um, yeah. but i had um i don't know if you guys do the the enneagram at all um but i was listening i, I need to, to we should do it like an enneagram episode and i'll do that but i've i've never done it i'm familiar with it okay yeah, so I was listening to this, it was this panel of type fours, and that's the type I am, and they were talking about how um, one of the things about type fours is that they have this innate understanding from the beginning that they come from something deeper, that they there's this deep origin that they come from, and there was, it, it was like I got swept up in this vision i guess and the best way i can describe it is it it was like i was standing on a cliff and and all the ground beneath me like gave way and i i i was falling into this abyss um but but the entire abyss was just pure love Hmm. and so it was like it was like nothing about your existence can ever be separated from love did that happen at breakaway no that that was a separate time um, but yeah, it's just like, you know, I can describe it as best I can, but it's, it's hard. But, but the thing is, is like, it does come down to what, you know, what you've experienced and, exactly. and, and your faith. And so like, and that a big thing for me, and I talk about this in the book is that's why I can't, um, I can't sit around and say, well, this is what's going to happen to people when they die. Like, I, I don't believe that. Because what I was told when I was younger is that, well, you you have to, you know, accept Jesus as your savior. And then after you're dead, you have no more chances. You either go to heaven or hell. And I'm like, this just doesn't make any sense to me anymore. Like, like someone's going to go to hell just because they haven't had the same experiences as I have. And like, and someone's going to go to hell, like, you know, well, of, of course, you know, some Muslim woman in Africa is going to be less likely to say, I believe in Jesus than I am. You know what I mean? So it's not like, it's not like we all have this, you know, equal opportunity to become born again Christians. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, like I, there's, it's impossible. Like Seth said, and like you're trying to articulate to really describe what faith looks like, but what you just said, just there about our experiences and the way that we were raised really plays a major toll or role in, in our outlook in life and, and what we're yeah. um, thinking God's speaking to us or not. And um, yeah, it's interesting, man. I really appreciate, you know, you, you know, being able to articulate this now later in your life. I feel like if you write anything like you speak, that it's um, probably gonna be a real powerful powerful book you have a good message there and i can tell that it's one of those things that you've spent a lot of time thinking about you know it's not and yeah so yeah and and for those who you know um there are a a lot of resources in the back of the book for those who are like you know 
for the things that I can say, like this is where it comes from. There's some good resources in the back of where people can look. What words of advice or wisdom would you have for someone who has a has a perspective of God being more confrontational, more judgmental, kind of keeping score? Because they just go off their experiences, get, so that's all they know, right? Right. Yeah, so, yeah. so to get to get to that level of love, um, people who've been hurt, you know, by the mm-hmm. church or who have yeah. had really bad experiences that have shaped the way that they view God, what what words would you have to to encourage them or help them get to that other viewpoint? Yeah, I mean. If, if somebody's still kind of steeped in that, I, I don't know that you can say anything. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's something that they have to, they have to come to some, some kind of line in the sand or whatever in their life that, that makes them look at things yeah. differently. But like for, for someone who's been hurt by the church, who, you know, is trying to heal from that. I mean, one of the biggest things for me is, um, just, coming to the realization that there's no, there's no part of me that God doesn't love. Even, even the parts of myself that, you know, like I would describe as skeletons, the things that I tried to hide from people, the things that I was ashamed of, like God, God's more comfortable with that stuff than I am. Um, and that's not what I was taught. You know, it was, well, you know, God can't stand to look at your sin or whatever. And it's like, well, no, he's, he, he can deal with it easier than I can. <laughs> I'm the one who doesn't want to look at it. Like I'm, I'm the one who's embarrassed and ashamed. But then when you, when you start to look at, you know, all that stuff you're ashamed of and then realize that you, you're still loved. Like that's, that for me is where the healing comes from. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Like, um, you've got me thinking over here, honestly, Ben, um, because I don't, feel like personally I don't land very far from probably a lot of the ways that you interpret and look at God or view faith um, currently. Like um, the Bible is broken down tremendously, but I still think it's a useful tool. Um, I also recognize as far that it could be a useful tool in the wrong hands as well. You know, it could be a useful tool for persecution and for abuse. Um, if used by the powerful and it could be a useful tool for, you know, for the abused if used in, I feel like most of Christianity um, has been more geared like you, like you were alluding to early on about um, being a voice and advocate for the minority or a voice or an advocate for the victim. And so I think that in a lot of ways, and if you look at even history and how Christianity spreads when there's more persecution and, and how Christianity in a nation like ours that's doing so well gets so much where it doesn't even look like Christianity anymore. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not. And so, um, but the biggest thing, because that was a good question, Seth, that you just asked about, you know, what do you have to say to somebody who's struggling with this or, you know, or looks at God? in a negative way. I mean, the only real answer is you have to give that up, but you're not going to be able to give that up until it doesn't work for you anymore. Until you've, yeah. until you've isolated yourself. Because if you have a view of God, that, that, that that's way, 
then you love people from that view and you're it, it ends up you end up isolating yourself either way you're going there's going to be conflict yeah. in your life well and the, and the the people that are still steeped in that view of god where he's you know vengeful and coercive you know when when they're telling people you know do this or you're going to go to hell i mean they genuinely think they're doing that out of love right and this is the whole thing it's 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 not god it's people it's just like gandhi said i like your jesus i don't mm-hmm. like your christians yeah you know the, because that's the problem as someone who's gay who wanted to you know go into the ministry at one point and was very dedicated to god like that's that's the problem you should and i don't know how we get this message of grace and mercy and love like the things that christ actually stood for the church doesn't care yeah yeah when i think you know like we need to be need to be concerned about like the right things Mm -hmm. um because you know i mean with you know talking about you being gay it's like you know, people are arguing about that, arguing about what some book says about that instead of like concentrating on what's important about loving and being compassionate. And right. And it's, you know, it's like gay. But youth if, you're, are killing- yeah. if you're afraid, then heaven and hell are the right things to be like afraid of or to be looking at. That's the most important, if, I guess. No, that's, you- yeah. No, I, yeah. That, I get it. Yeah. It's just when, gay youth are killing themselves at such a high rate and then you're like well but what are they doing is it right or wrong it's like that's not the right question right now <laughs> right it's like the uh the priority is wrong it seems as if the priority is to be right not to be kind like the yeah yeah you know. and i think that's um that ends up that ends up hurting all of us you know mm-hmm. it, it it ends up hurting the person that i'm relating to but it ends up hurting me as well because I, I end right. up hiding the things from God and from others that I don't think are right. And mm-hmm. and then, but the thing is, is that I, I need to experience that love right in those places that I'm trying to hide. Yeah, exactly. Because that's the thing I was realizing. I'm like, well, yes, we all agree that obviously viewing the lens through a God that's hateful is going to create kind of hateful responses even if you're you're looking at it through the the views of love but at the same time some of your biggest breakthroughs happen dur- during what we would call hard love and mm-hmm. so you were still yeah. you were still being confronted so it wasn't like you're not pre- you're not preaching a message i don't hear you saying oh well it's all good everything's all good i, I feel like there still has to be some sort of responsibility on the person to want to to be better, want to be like more authentic. I don't I don't even know how to articulate what I'm trying to say, but it seems to be like there's a fine line between like you can like where if you swing the pendulum one way or the other, then you end up like being abusive in that type of a situation. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I think you I think you have to have. I mean, I I don't I don't think I know anybody who is who I would look up to emotionally or spiritually, who doesn't have a mentor who calls them out on stuff. You know, like we just, because we, we can't see everything that's in our life. We have, we have to have somebody else that's, you know, just calling us out on that because we, 
you know, there's stuff I don't see about myself and I need somebody else to do that. But that's, yeah, but my accountability yeah. partner was always, <laughs> always looking at porn too, you know? So well, I, I just never he was looking at your porn because the triple X church was sending it to him. So he was like, Oh, what's, what's Chris watching? This looks, <laughs> he's, he's waiting each week. He's like, Ooh, like what's Chris watched this week? I'm, I need some new suggestions. <laughs> when I like, yeah, I, I hated the whole accountability partner stuff because it was like, it ended up being like, we're, you know, we're just going to present our good selves because we don't want to get yelled at <laughs> instead of like, you know, um, what when I talk about having like a mentor, I'm talking more of like a spiritual director, who um, you know, who who is where you where who is where you want to be, as far as like spiritual and health, and mental health, uh, emotional health and mental health and and um, almost like a life coach kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Someone, someone for who like I was going, I. I I had a spiritual director for, I haven't been able to see him in a little while, but um, I was seeing him for about a year and there was something that, that I really needed to talk about and I hadn't told anybody ever. And, and you know, I, he just affirmed to me, like there is nothing you could ever say to me about yourself that will make me think differently of you. And, and that, that's the kind of, if you want to call it accountability, that's the kind of accountability you need. Of someone saying like, you know, my love and care for you isn't going to change, um, but I do want to help you move forward. Yeah, because the accountability partners that I had whenever I was a Christian, it was kind of a joke. Like you would start out going, "Hey man, like have you you know been lustful this week?" Mm-hmm. No nah, man, no nah, I haven't. And you would you would come up with stuff like, uh, "Okay, so Matthew five twenty eight says that if you've looked lustfully upon a woman, you've already committed adultery with her in your own heart." So from then on, it was like when you were around each other, it was like, uh, and there was a hot girl walking by, you'd be like, "Oh, Matthew five twenty eight, bounce your eyes," you know, and yeah. It became a joke because then it was like, oh, we saw a hot girl. Oh, look, 528. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was ridiculous. But I you're can... saying that you would want someone who wouldn't be that kind of a person that would actually be someone that you look up to, yeah. someone that is, uh, I guess, more spiritually further along than you. Uh, yeah. I'd wonder how you would measure that. But Seth, go ahead. I was just going to say, as a gay person, uh, being in a accountability partnership where they talked about wanting to jerk off. I didn't mind that at all. Um, I, (laughs) I will just say though, that um, I think that spiritual directors, like having that type of guidance is huge. Yeah. And it sounds like it's been very influential for you. I mean, I had a couple when I was in my cult life, so I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I technically, I have one. So, yeah, I think it can be very helpful. Oh, thank you, Seth. I mean, I know you thought highly. Did you find him on Tinder? Spiritual. Um, (laughs) Chris Fillingham. uh, Yeah, I know. I'm just messing around. So, the book is There's a God in My Closet, and it uh, just came out this year. And uh, where can people find it? Uh, Mostly on Amazon. Um, Actually, for the next probably month or so, it's going to be $2.99 for Kindle. So, um, which is well, now Carl right. Forehand has his book at 99 cents. Right I know now. I, I couldn't talk him down anymore than that. <laughs> <laughs> I know I feel like such a failure. No, that's great. <laughs> that's great. 2.99. Uh, okay. Yeah, they can get no. it on, on Amazon and Kindle. 
Yeah, they, uh, they can get it on my website, bedelong.com, if they want to do it that way. Um, if they want a hard copy, that's probably the cheapest route. Be, be along. Be real careful when you're typing that in, too, because that could end up go, going to your accountability <laughs> it's like a partner. Porn name. Yeah, like your triple, your triple H shirt partner's like, ben what, long. what is this BB's well, my, long? <laughs> my, uh, my wife's maiden name, name, name was Johnson, so we would sidestep DeLong Johnson. Oh, my God. That would be hilarious if she kept them both and just hyphenated know, right? it. Oh, man. That's great. That is fantastic. Yeah, well, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thank and you so much. Yeah, we've gotten into yeah, a lot of things. Too. I feel like um, there's a much more there we could have got into. Um, so, appreciate you. Yeah, yeah and uh, you can also listen to his cousin's music, uh, Tom DeLong, Angels and Airwaves. I have no idea what that so, is. <laughs> that's a joke. Yeah, maybe two Some of you out there, that. two people out there will get that, and they're and they're both okay. in the ba- they're both in the band. <laughs> people, there is a lot of people that will get that. Either way, okay. uh, Ben, thank you very much for coming on. Um, I appreciate you letting us ask you some pretty tough questions, and yeah, um, hopefully, I answered them. Sure. And I think that uh, people are really going to enjoy your book. It's, um, you know, something that I, I was just looking and I'm super excited about it because there's a preview of 42 pages that I can check out right now. So I'm <laughs> nice. probably going to do that a little bit later on today. Nice. Um, so anyhow, everyone, please go check out. There is a God in my closet by Ben DeLong. Um, ben, are you on social media? If people want to follow you? Yep. I'm on Facebook. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm on Twitter. I don't do a lot on Twitter, though, honestly. But. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, everyone go. Uh, I don't know if you follow or if you like or whatever on Facebook, but go follow and, and like Bend Along on Facebook. Uh, anybody else have anything else? No, it's been great. Thanks for listening. Yeah, appreciate you so yeah, much, Ben. guys. Yeah. Privilege. Enjoyed it. Peace. We out. We out. All right. Thanks, guys. What is up, all you cool cats and kittens? It's your boy Omar here, a.k.a. Pothead Pastor, a.k.a. The Pod Father. Hope everyone is staying safe and staying sane out there during these crazy, crazy times we're living in. Hope everyone's washing their hands regularly and staying six feet apart from one another. I really hope you guys enjoyed this last episode. It was brought to you by our Patreon family. You know, there's some really cool things going on in the Fade to Grey family. If um, you have not yet heard, (laughs) if you were interested in wanting to know how to support Fade to Grey or the Fade to Grey network, please make your way to fadetograypodcast.com and if you want to just find ways to support us, you can go to patreon.com backslash fade to gray podcast hope you guys have a great week out there and and we'll all come out of our homes eventually i hope